You made it. Checked out of office to check into the sweet views of this place where the kids aren't asking for the Wi-Fi. Mom, can we go to the pool? And when you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it. Uh, hello? You're still playing that game? Oh, man, it looks like you're in a game days. Yeah, I- I'm getting you Blocks blue light glasses from Zenny. Okay, okay, I'm pausing it. Um, what are Blocks? Well, Blocks glasses help protect your eyes against blue light from digital devices. Sounds like Blocks will let me play longer. Ugh. Add Blocks to any Zenny frame for stylish all-day protection from harmful blue light. Get a complete pair of prescription Blocks glasses starting at just $24. And get back to gaming. Zenny.com. Eyewear for everyone. Hello there, welcome to another episode of This Week in History with me, your host, Dan the Viking. First things first, a little bit of housekeeping for you guys, so thank you for everybody who has had a guess on this week's uh, this week's page. It has been a bit weird because uh, I changed my mind halfway through putting, uh, putting episodes up, so uh, I was planning on doing um, a Halloween episode. Uh, the Halloween episode was supposed to go out this week, and then I realised I'm actually a week ahead, and Halloween isn't till next week, so I thought, right, I'm going to have to fit one in just before, so it seems a little bit silly doing a Halloween episode the week before Halloween, when I can put one out on Halloween. So, I was racking my brains what to do, and there's been an episode that I have wanted to cover since I started doing podcasting, and a lot of you may have guessed i think the english uh, listeners will definitely have guessed just by looking at the picture and that is the year 1066 so now this is something for uh, anyone who's not english you may not have a clue about the year 1066 and yeah hopefully this will be an enlightening experience for you but this is a, a year that uh, one of the first years i ever taught at school so when I was uh, teaching history, um, GCSE level history, this is something that GCSE students cover in England, and this was something that I know quite a bit about, and I thought, I want to do it, I've wanted to do it since I started, but I thought I'd wait until a more opportune time, around October, uh, which is when the most famous battle of 1066 happened, which is the Battle of Hastings. Uh, many of you may have heard of that and may not have known that that was the year so that is the reason why there was a little bit of confusion in the pictures that's why we went with a Halloween one first and then I went with this one so this episode is coming to you first uh, on Wednesday for those of you who haven't joined the Patreon you will finally get to listen to the Trafalgar episode so that will be going up this week as well and then towards the end of next week on Halloween I will be doing a Halloween episode so the one thing I will say about the Halloween episode just in advance is I'm aware a lot of my listeners are religious you may not want to listen to this episode because there are a lot of things in Halloween that are considered non-religious or 
potentially could throw up a few questions to people who are religious so um hopefully that won't put anyone off um but it's just so you guys are aware pre that episode coming out that uh there are a lot of pagan traditions from halloween that have been transmitted into modern day halloween which is what we celebrate uh now so uh anyway i'm digressing a little bit so we'll we'll get back onto the subject in hand um i do want to have a quick shout out to uh my patreon members um thank you very much for your support over the last few months guys um really really appreciate it and like i said we are going to be doing um special requests on patreon and i have had um a family in america who have contacted me um a lady and and her husband and we will be doing hopefully if we can get it right we will be doing an episode coming towards halloween sorry coming towards christmas um where we're going to swap goodie boxes between the two families and i'm going to try some american sweets and bits and pieces and she's and her husband are going to try uh, some English stuff that you can't get out there. So that would be uh, a completely different episode. Um, that should be quite fun. I'm quite looking forward to that one. So um, that will be coming up in, in the future. And that's one to look out for. So without further ado, we're going to get on with our 1066 episode. And like I said for you guys, 1066 was a big time in English history. Uh, it was something that... Uh, basically changed the way uh, England was depicted. Uh, England prior to 1066 um, had been ruled by the Vikings for roughly 200 years Um, and a lot of Viking influence was in England at that time. England itself was pretty much a Scandinavian country in a lot of aspects and there was a few um, a few that you know, stood against it. Um, King Alfred of Wessex uh, around the the 800s, he was quite famous for standing up against the Vikings. Um, and 1066 was the year where English traditions up to that point, or Anglo-Saxon traditions, um, changed, and they changed quite drastically in the space of a year. In the space of a year, England went through three different kings, and they had many claimants to the throne of England. Now, the interesting thing in 1066 was it starts with the 5th of January, um, which is when King Edward, Edward the Confessor, a very famous king in England, died. Now, when he died, he left no heirs to the throne. And as soon as that happens, the crown of England is now up for question. Who is going to take the crown? Which person? There are more than one. Now, which person is the right person to take the crown of England? And the easiest way to do it is to look at the people who potentially could have taken the crown. Now, the most likely person is a young man named Edgar. He was called Edgar the Atheling, which means he was basically blood he was next to be on the throne unfortunately he was 15 years old and like i said a lot of english at this time had been fighting the vikings for nearly 200 years and there was a challengers from other parts of the world which meant having a 15 year old king 
would probably not have been the best move. Um, he was, I believe, a nephew of the king, so therefore he had, you know, slight, slight better bloodline to the king um, than anybody else. The other challenger is uh, Harold Godwinson, a very famous English noble. He was the Earl of Wessex. Wessex being the biggest county in England or the biggest land in England. He was the richest man in the kingdom. And his sister was also the wife of Edward the Confessor. Now, yes, he may be the most powerful noble in the country, but a bloodline does not exist there. He, His claim is purely through the marriage of his sister to the king, which, as we know, is not a legitimate claim. However, um, he was the the man that England would have needed in this situation. The other claimants to the throne was Harold Hadrada, who was the king of Norway, and he was claim his claim to the throne was through his grandfather, who was King Canute. Canute uh, was king of England. He was a Viking king of England. And there was claims made to his father from Edward the Confessor that his father would take the crown off Edward when he died. Uh, unfortunately, Harold Hadrada's father died before King Edward, so therefore he assumed that the crown would then fall to him. That's not what happened. And the final claimants to the throne is William, Duke of Normandy. William, Duke of Normandy, obviously lived in Normandy. And his claim was that Edward was his cousin and Edward promised the crown to William when he died. Now, Harold also claimed that William, uh, sorry, that Edward promised the crown to him. So these two men probably had the most legitimate claims. Good, both had said that, that they, they were the next king because Edward had told them they were the next king. Now, the problem with Harold is Harold was a deathbed confession and only Harold heard it. And according to William, even Harold Godwinson uh, swore an allegiance to William and would help him take the throne of England. So William's claim was, I suppose, slightly more legitimate. Um, however, uh, in this time in history... Just because you were the son of the king, you were not guaranteed to be the next king. So that uh, is where there's a job called the Witten. Now the Witten is a basically like a council of the king and they choose the next king. I would say 99% of the time they will choose the blood heir to the throne because otherwise it does cause more problems. But in this case there was no blood heir or the blood heir was a 15 year old child so the Witten, in their infinite wisdom decided that the next king of england would be harold godwinson and harold godwinson obviously was quite happy to accept the crown and he was what we call the last anglo-saxon king he was actually crowned on the 6th of january so when edward died on the 5th uh, edward edward's funeral was on the 6th and Harold was crowned king straight after the funeral. So it was really quite um, 
quite a quick decision that the Witten had to make. And like I said, the reason they had to make this decision so fast was the claimants from other sides of the world, one from Norway, one from Normandy, um, basically England was about to go to war and they needed a strong leader. Obviously, Harold being the most powerful noble in England, he was a strong leader. Harold obviously knew that his kingdom wasn't safe. And the biggest threat at this time, uh, he believed, were the Normans. Uh, I don't actually think he had really any any hope that the Vikings were gonna gonna attack or, or any real belief that they were gonna follow through on their their promise. So he did he did believe that the Normans were probably the most uh, most likely to attack. So he stationed his army, his troops, uh, on the south coast of England. Now what you would call an army then is not what we'd call an army now his army was basically what you would call a fjord now a fjord is a voluntary army made up mainly of um, farmers and uh, shipbuilders and things like that people who uh, generally can't really be spared for too long Um, obviously if you spare a farmer for too long then people will starve. So they were men that could be spared for a little bit of time, but realistically they weren't full-time army. Now he did have a lot of um, better troops, uh, troops who were permanent army. Uh, these are what we would call uh, housecarls. They are essentially the knights of their day. They were um, the big fighters, the ones who were paid to fight um you know the professionals basically so he stationed his army on the south coast and he was waiting for this norman invasion now he waited and he waited and come the 8th of september he realized that the normans weren't coming and that he would have to send his army back home now like i said the reason for that like i said a lot of them work on the land uh, a lot of them fishers fishermen and things like that that uh, if he didn't send them home, then they wouldn't have a country because they wouldn't have food and things like that. So um, he did what he had to do and he had to send his men home. Now, Harold faced many problems as king. And one of the problems that he had was, believe it or not, in his own family. Uh, his brother, he had a brother called Tostig. Uh, he was the Earl of Northumbria, which is uh, North England, northeastern England. Um, basically very very close to where the Vikings landed and where the Vikings came in from England um, a place that was known to have what's called Dane law which is uh, Danish law um, not basically they were a lot of them up there were, were Vikings and this is where believe it or not is where I live uh, hence the the Viking side so um, Northumbria was uh, quite an important stronghold for the north and if they had a good leader up there they could basically keep the vikings under wraps let them live and get on with things but not cause too many trouble um tostig was not a good earl um he was quite brutal uh very high taxes uh, he wasn't very well liked and he was a bit of a a dick so Harold had to get rid of him. This all happened prior to September, and Harold uh, got rid of him 
and replaced him with Earl Morcar, just a, another a man, another Earl who took over. Now, in this, Tostig left and went to Scotland. Uh, when he did this, he basically realised that he hated his brother and he encouraged Harold Hadrada, the King of Norway, to come over to England and to claim, make his claim for the throne. When he did this, obviously Tostig has now basically signed his own death warrant if he ever steps foot in England. Unfortunately, he didn't care and he believed that because he had the backing of Harold Hadrada, who was a very formidable Viking warrior, very good leader, very good good in battle, um, very famous, feared Viking, um, he would be pretty safe. And when the Vikings came over, they came over late September, or sort of middle to, middle to late September in 1066, and Harold got word that um, his, you know, his throne was being challenged. Now, he was being challenged in the north, not in the south. So Harold faced a very big problem here. He had to march his entire army north from uh, from the south coast of England up to York to meet the Vikings. The bigger problem is he'd literally just sent them home. So he couldn't go to these men who he's just sent home and say, can you come and fight for me now I need you, when I've needed you for the last you know, six, seven months and you've not done anything, I need you now. It wasn't going to happen. So as he was marching north, he had to pick up an army on his way north. The problem you have is obviously by the time Harold has got word that the Vikings are here, it's a hell of a march. It's over 200 miles up north, and he's got to raise an army on the way. So Earl Morcar and uh, his brother, uh, Earl Edwin of Mercia, decide that they will meet the Vikings first. Um, they both plan a battle, a strategy, and they think, well, if we can defeat the Vikings before Harold gets here, Harold's going to... You know he's going to repay us in obviously monetary value, and at least the kingdom's safe. Not only that, they did have a, a personal tie to Harold, because Harold's wife was both Earl Edwin and Morcar's sister. So they they planned to meet them. Now Hadrada had brought over ten thousand Vikings. That's a hell of a force in these days. The average. English force probably only had somewhere between five and somewhere between five and ten thousand, but that this is an invading force with the same numbers as what the king is probably going to muster up. So, you know, it's quite a quite an impressive force, and it is definitely a force to to be worried about. So the elves met Harold Hadrada at a place called Fulford, uh, which is just outside of York. Now. Fulford is the name well this is where the battle happened and it's known as the Battle of Fulford so that makes sense um, the Earls managed to muster an army of around 4,500 men the Vikings at this time had left around 3,000 men with their ships and at a camp and they had roughly 7,000 with them now the Earls did not know they were outnumbered at this point when they set up for battle, 
they were faced only Tostig Godwinson's men. The Viking main army was out of view and hidden out of sight. So when the English arrived, they've seen a very small force and they've immediately thought they're, they're outnumbering them. They set up their shield wall, which, uh, for those of you that don't know, is basically one man stands out, left arm in front, the shield's on the left arm, and the the next the man next to him also puts their shield, so they overlock. Um, and what they then use is the spears and swords to just thrust through the shield wall. Gives them quite a lot of protection, and it's probably the, the safest way of fighting for the day. Um, problem with it is they are very, very tightly packed and you know, even to the point that if the the man at the front was killed, uh, they would they wouldn't fall. They were that tightly packed they would still be stood up dead. <laughs> so it's uh, definitely a strange way of fighting for nowadays, but this was the, the norm at the time. The battle started around midday and it was pretty even until the tide went so they this was like quite a marshy boggy land when the tide disappeared it exposed the flank of the english and harold moved his troops up the side and around the back of the english and basically sandwiched them between the two the two armies that there was a complete massacre and anyone who managed to to get away got away um within you know a, a few days after that i think it was around uh, september the 24th 25th um york surrendered to the vikings and and york is very very significant um for the vikings it's the northern point um of england what is it was known as the northern capital a lot of people still think it is the northern capital of england um it's a very significant place uh, it's it's on um a river called the river ooze so where i live is on the humber you basically you'll come up the side of the humber up the river turn right up the ooze and the ooze takes you straight to york so the vikings settled all along the humber river and they settled all the way up the ooze into york and basically when they had the northern town the the important thing to remember is like i said a lot of the north of England at this time uh, practiced what's called Dane law, like I said earlier. So a lot of them were big supporters of the Vikings. A lot of them were maybe first generation English or second generation English where their parents or grandparents had come over from Norway. So a lot of them had that big, you know, um, tie to the Vikings that lived there. And when the Vikings retook York, uh, they probably would have seen quite a bit of a rally of support and, and things like that. Um, but now, Harold is facing an even harder task because now they have a, a, a city and they have the backing of some of the people and they're high off of a, a massive victory at Fulford. King Harold musters around 7,000 men on his journey north. And the Vikings are in a situation where they have settled at a place called Stamford Bridge. Now, they're settled there, they're waiting for the arrival of Viking hostages. They have kept their end of the bargain, they've handed over English hostages that they've taken um, from the battle, and they're waiting for their hostages to be returned to them. Now, what they do, they, it's 
it's known as quite a warm day. It's uh, history's told us it's it was quite a hot day in September, and the Vikings had obviously been back to their ships. They'd left a few more men at the ships, and they'd also left their armor at the ships. So all they'd taken with them really were swords and shields. Um, they weren't expecting any trouble and all of a sudden they turn around and see Harold Godwinson with 7,000 men ready to attack them. Now they are slightly lucky in the sense that they see Harold Godwinson on one side of the river and they are on the other. There is only a very narrow bridge that separates the two, the two, um, the two armies. And legend tells us that one Viking warrior decides to take his axe and stand on the bridge on his own and chop down any Englishman that decides to come over that bridge. And that's exactly how the story goes. He stood there with his axe and he basically, he buys the Viking's time. He knows he's going to die. He knows that there's no way he can stop 7,000 men on his own, but he's you know he's viking and that's that's how they fought you know they fought to the death they didn't really care and he stood there and he chopped down um you know i've i've heard conflicting stories i've heard uh, stories where they say he chopped down maybe five or six english that tried to cross the bridge i've heard stories that say it was around 20 to 30 and i've even heard stories that say it was in the hundreds so um to put an actual number on it if you go sort of halfway in between i would say you're probably looking at around 30 or 40 men depending on which story you believe so historical there is obviously no real historical facts behind this story but it does give you a a sense of the excuse me a sense of the the way the vikings fought um they really didn't care they fought to the death no ends um with this uh one of the english has obviously seen what he's doing he's gone underneath the bridge with a huge spike and popped it straight between his legs and for every bloke listening to this has probably gone ow and that's exactly what this viking did and he you know he hit the floor and 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 died there and then and the english obviously had their way to get over the bridge now the english army versus the viking army at this point the saxon versus the danes they were probably roughly the same size or at least a similar size the English had the element of surprise, and the Vikings were unarmed, and that is probably the biggest flaw in this battle for Hadrada. And battle commences. So, like I said, obviously there are now in a uh, there's no way of stopping this battle. Hadrada has realised that although the armies are a similar size, half of his army isn't there. They're at the boats. 25 miles away or 20 miles away so he sends three riders on horses to go and fetch the rest of his men because he knows there's no way really realistically his 5,000 men that are there are going to stop this seven 7,000 men um, and that's what they do they ride off and, and hopefully in his mind that they get there in time to at least stop the massacre unfortunately they didn't get there and the battle started the english overwhelmed the vikings and killed both king harold hadrada and tostig godwinson now when the 
reserve troops did arrive. Um, they, you know, they they basically surrendered straight away. Uh, they, I think, I don't know. There is a story that says some of them put up a little bit of a fight, but there's also stories that say they literally came in waving a white flag. So, again, open to interpretation that one. I think realistically, if they'd have turned up and seen that their uh, their king had died and things like that, I, th- I think they probably would have not bothered. Um, but obviously the English massively victorious in this and Harold Hadrada's son who was called Olaf he offered himself as um, sort of penance to the king he said you know forgive me and forgive my my father and things like this um, normally in this situation you would assume that King Harold would have would have killed him, but he didn't. He sent him home. He said, "You know, go back to Norway and basically never return." Now, the Vikings bought over three hundred ships uh, for the for this invasion, and there was only twenty four Viking ships that returned. So that just shows you how conclusive this battle was, and the English had won. Great news! Everyone's happy, and most of these warriors uh, who are part of the fjords not necessarily the house cars but they get to go home so they're all happy and all of a sudden king harold receives news that the normans have now landed in the south of england so this you know he he traveled 300 kilometers 200 miles in 5 days to get up there to fight the vikings he's fought off the vikings he's the only real Victor, who has ever defeated the Vikings completely in England, ever. I mean, people have won battles against them, but they didn't get rid of them. This battle got rid of the Vikings. There was no, no Vikings came back to England after 1066. He, he basically won the biggest battle, one of the biggest battles in English history. And then he's got to turn around and walk 200 miles back to the south coast of England to fight the French or the Normans that have just come over with another invading army. So he really hasn't got much hope. Like I said, a lot of his men now have probably gone as well. A lot of his his fighters would have been there for that battle and then, then disappeared. So, you know, he's not in a good situation right now where, you know, he's, he's, he has to march again and, not only has he got a march, but he's got to get troops on the way down as well. So he's he's had to beg for troops on the way up, and he's got to beg for troops again on the way home. The advantage the Normans had was in William. William was a very, very good military leader. He was he'd won many, many battles. He knew exactly what he was doing. And the French, or the Normans... They had different types of weaponry to the English. The English fought with foot soldiers. Cool, that sounded weird. Foot soldiers, basically armed with, you know, chainmail, helmet, shield, sword. Some of them had axes. Uh, a lot of them would have used the, the, the Danish axe, which was a five-foot axe. Um, obviously, in that situation, they didn't have, have a shield because that axe would have needed two hands to swing. Um the French used archers, and well, they used. A, I mean, the English used archers too, but the French at this time had a a lot more archers and a lot better archers. They also had cavalry, 
and this is something that the English didn't use. The English did not use cavalry at all. And yeah, the French I think, you know, this this gave them a huge advantage. Not only that, England as a country was teetering on religion. It hadn't settled on anything yet. The vast majority of English were Catholic, uh, Christian Catholic, um, and the and and a lot of them, especially from the north, were pagan. Uh, followed the the Danish the Danish traditions, which you would have learnt about in one of the last episodes. The North the Norse religion. Added to that, you had the original religion of England, which was um, again it was pagan, and this was um, by what a group. In England, called the Britons, and the Britons were quite famous. They weren't necessarily good fighters, but um, many of you may have heard of Boudicca. Uh, this is she was a Briton, um, and Britons were pagan as well. So you had sort of a conflict in religion in England, and this king or Duke William, who's come over, he had spoken to the Pope. And the Pope had said, yep, we'll bring England completely under our religion. And you're the man to do it. So he also gave him the the banners of the Pope. So he went into battle with the backing of God, basically. Well, that's how he saw it. So in this situation, it does look like William, you know, at least has the backing of God and you know has the slight advantage in the sense that he his troops are a little bit different you know he's got he's got the he's got the edge the military edge that Harold doesn't have not only that Harold's mustering an army for a 200 mile walk and then a battle and these normans will not be unprepared like the danish were these normans are ready for battle they have come there for a battle and they know what they're going to get. A lot of the noblemen in Normandy had been promised parts of the land in England that he, you know, he divvied up between his subjects. England was going to change completely if the Normans won, and you know this this may have helped Harold raise an army, but it didn't help them get less tired on a two hundred mile walk. So on October the 14th, 1066, the English finally get to Hastings where they meet the Norman army. Now, the Battle of Hastings started roughly 9 o'clock in the morning and the English had a good defensive position on the top of a ridge. Again, formed up with a nice shield wall and they had King Harold right in the middle. The Normans lined up in three lines, archers at the front, foot soldiers behind and cavalry behind them they fired the arrows the arrows didn't make the they didn't make it up the hill or the ones that did make it up the hill did nothing they did no damage whatsoever so the archers moved back and the foot the well first the archers moved back and then the cavalry had an attempt the cavalry struggled very hard to get up the hill which meant that the english now are thinking hey, this is pretty easy you know we're we're quite all right here then the foot soldiers have a go and they get repelled as well. The English are slowly moving down the hill to towards the Normans and there's a rumour 
that spread around the French army that William has been killed in the in the battle. William stands up on a, I believe he's on horseback, takes his helmet off and shouts, "I'm not dead and we're going to win this." Obviously there's a huge rallying cry. The English have obviously moved further and further down the hill, so they're not in as strong of a position, but they are still in their good they've still got a good shape and they still have you know the the majority of their army there um the in the french charge the cavalry to one of the flanks the flanks are obviously the weakest part of the shield wall and they get bogged down they start to retreat and as they start to retreat the english chase they've only one side of the english chase as they chase in the French down the hill, the French turn around, stop, and slaughter the few English that have decided to chase. Now, obviously, as they're running down the hill, they come straight into range of the archers, and they are just pounded, completely pounded. Now, this goes down to the fact that the English had a tendency to put the fjordmen on the outside of the flanks and the better knights or, or housecarls were in the middle where the bulk of the attack would normally take place not only that the king's in the middle and the king needs the best protection that there is so that's how it happened and as soon as these let's say amateur fighters give chase they're massacred the Norman Chronicles will tell you that it was a feigned attack to draw the English out. Um, it is known in Norman uh, battles that they would do that. Um, but realistically, it was quite a boggy day. And the cavalry were struggling to get up the hill. Cavalry is a general rule. Horses aren't stupid. They don't tend to just charge into spears. So, you know, they didn't. it's not something they would have done. So the, the chances of horses getting up to a, a shield wall with spears sticking out and going nah, I'm not that stupid I'm going away is not impossible the English obviously have taken this as a huge advantage and given chase as soon as that happens there's now a huge gap on the left hand side the French come straight round there and they absolutely massacre the English now it is said that King Harold's is killed by an arrow to his eye so that picture that i put up shows harold with an arrow in his eye that is the king of england that is from the bio tapestry or the bayo tapestry depending on how you pronounce it that tapestry does depict harold being killed with an arrow in his eye realistically from my opinion uh, from my professional opinion that is probably just a, a glorified way of doing it. I think in reality, once the French had exposed that English line, uh, they just tore tore them apart, completely tore them apart, um, and killed, probably massacred and butchered him. And as soon as they saw that they had the King of England, I don't think they would have been as nice to possibly just put an arrow in him. I think it would have been a lot more brutal and you know also 
William wanted to make a point. Do you know what I mean? William was... I, 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 that, I mean, that's my opinion. Um, there are There is evidence to suggest that he, he wasn't killed by an arrow in the eye. It's not just complete conjecture. But... Um, you know that there, there is there is evidence that suggests that the French did actually just massacre him, but I'll leave that to you guys. You know, if you want to follow the the Bayo tapestry, which is a seventy foot piece of cloth that was made by the Normans after the Battle of Hastings, which pretty much depicts the entire story I've just told you, but from a Norman perspective. And so ends the Battle of Hastings. Now. The Battle of Hastings, like I said, obviously is a huge battle in English history. Absolutely huge. Mainly because we lost. Um, you know, and, and England then changed. England then became uh, a Catholic country. They they became under under Duke William. Uh, Duke William of Normandy became William I of England. Um, and, you know, we went from being a Norman country really sorry not a norman country we went we went to becoming a norman country we went from a scandinavian country um to becoming you know this this more european country and more uh more religious country it, you know it changed a lot in england and you know he he was crowned he was actually crowned on christmas day in december 1066 um so he he became the first norman king of england and this is where England changed. Like I said, it changed quite drastically for the the average man living in England, and probably wasn't wasn't too great. Um, there was a lot of things that William did that you you can possibly look into. There's a, a very famous event that he did during his kingship, which was called uh, the Harrying of the North, which is basically where he sent his troops up there up to the north of England and murdered everyone um he killed thousands upon thousands hundreds of thousands of people um he plowed salt into the lands and you know basically completely ruined the north of england for for hundreds of years and this is where a lot of people up north moved down south um and this is why the south has you know a little bit more of a, a, a population even to this day than the north of england but um and, and York, you know, York got taken. It, York was not a, a big city there after that. It didn't. It was. It lost its poignancy. You know, there was a lot of things that William did um, during his kingship um, that was probably not good. He did do some things that were good. The Doomsday Book um, was was William. And there, there's a lot of things that you know. He, he was a very controversial king. Let's put it that way. But he was also French. So, you know, the the thing I find very interesting, and I, I have always found very interesting, is William I of Normandy, who was a duke, who was essentially a Viking. Now, his grandparents were Vikings that came to Normandy and took Normandy. And obviously, from that, he then came and took England. And if I am right, our royal family is also related to William in some very, very distant, long distant way. Um, you know, it's sort of been that that bloodline is still royal now. So really, our queen right now is descendant from Vikings. 
which I think is pretty cool. And I'm not sure <laughs> anyone else will agree with me that that's cool, but I think that's pretty cool. Um, I like the fact that the Vikings are still influential even now. Um, so yeah, a very interesting year in England, 1066. Had three kings, two of them died, one of them one of the two was absolutely butchered uh, at battle but the one who died in battle you know had the normans not invaded for whatever reason had they decided against it harold godwinson would not have been harold the king that died at hastings he would be harold the man who got rid of the vikings you know he would have been this huge massive savior of a man and uh, you know we don't really remember him for that. We we remember him from getting shot with an arrow at Hastings, whether that's true or not. But you know it's a, a very interesting time in English history. And like I said, this is something that required very little research for me in, in the the sense that you know I've taught this for you know, I taught this at GCSE level in England. Um, so it's, it's something that I do know quite well. Um, but like I said, I did want to cover it. And I wanted to cover it in October because, like I said, the the Battle of Hastings was in October um, and it had a bit more poignancy rather than doing it when I started this podcast seven months ago. So I wanted to do it nearer the time. So it's something I've been really looking forward to do and I hope you guys have, have you know, agree with that and have enjoyed this episode. Like I say, uh, we will have the next episode coming out will be uh, from the Patreon and that will be the um the battle of trafalgar now i can honestly say it is a very very long episode um it might be one that you want to if you've if you've got the time listen to it in a wanna but if not it might be one you want to pause halfway through it is a long episode but i'm sure my patreon followers will uh, will back me up in saying it is it is a bloody good one um my dad my dad did a, a fantastic job a very very good job so i i uh I applaud him for that and yeah we look forward to having him back on the show another time uh, I know he he started by saying uh, when he when he first did the Titanic one he started saying oh you know I, d- I don't want to don't want to take over I don't want to don't want to do very many with you and then I got a phone call saying oh can we do the Battle of Trafalgar and after we did the Battle of Trafalgar I've got a phone call going oh can we do Jack the Ripper and oh can we do this and can we do that so yeah, I think he's uh, he's caught the bug now of uh, of doing podcasting, and I think he wants to be on a few more shows. So, yeah, if anybody wants to hear some more shows with my dad, let me know. You know, I, I enjoy doing them. Um, so yeah, if you guys want to listen to that, then obviously let me know. If if you don't want to li- don't want to listen to that, send me a message because I don't want him reading that. Um, but I'm sure that's not the case for anyone. Um, yeah, I hope you've all enjoyed this episode. And like I said, we will we will be back in the middle of next week for the Trafalgar episode, and we will be back the the end of the week for the Halloween episode, which again is something I'm really looking forward to recording. So, hope you all have enjoyed this episode, and we shall see you next time. Thank you for listening, and remember, we all have history. Amazon's got everything you need for your dorm, from everyday essentials and clothing to school supplies to bedding so comfortable you'll sleep right through your roommate's new hobby. Save on all things college at Amazon. 
Not running your business on NetSuite is like trying to sync a putt with a cap pulled over your eyes. NetSuite by Oracle is the number one cloud financial system, giving you visibility and control of your financials, inventory, budgeting, and more all in one place. 93% of surveyed businesses increase their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 31,000 businesses already use NetSuite. This summer, NetSuite has a special financing program for those ready to upgrade at netsuite.com slash go. netsuite.com slash go. Make yours great. Bye-bye. Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a stuntman to do their home renovations. Just finished the new sunroom, Mrs. C. The best part is I used candy glass for all the windows, so you can do this. And this. Doesn't hurt a bit either. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. And if you don't want to take the long way to the kitchen, the walls are breakaway too. See? For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today. When you love riding a motorcycle, you want to ride it everywhere, even getting a dental checkup. Mr. Carter, wouldn't you prefer the chair? I'm fine on my bike, Doc. Well, let me know if you feel any discomfort. And when you love saving money, you want to save even more. That's why GEICO makes it easy to bundle your motorcycle and car insurance. All done, Mr. Carter. Remember to brush, floss, and lubricate your drive chain regularly. Kickstart your savings with GEICO Motorcycle. Bundle and save on the things you love.